Good evening, everyone, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where I, David Dykus, and I, Eli Phillips, watch every episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, the classic 90s horror show that you remember from Nickelodeon, but probably haven't watched in a long time. We've been watching it for 15 episodes now, and it has been a weird roller coaster. Today is going to be no exception to that. No, this week we are up to episode 15, The Tale of the Midnight Madness. This episode aired June 26, 1993. It was written by Chloe Brown and directed by series creator and frequent director DJ McHale. So we've seen a lot of episodes from both DJ and Chloe, including, I believe Chloe has written more episodes than anyone else, uh, including the first episode, and that's going to be pretty relevant tonight. Yes, this is a special episode because this is our first Frank episode since the very beginning of the series, since the series premiere. Yeah, for some reason, they started the show out by having Frank uh, inducted into the Midnight Society and telling his story. That was the very first episode, as Frank walks up to the campfire blindfolded. Uh, David has brought him in to become the newest member. He auditions by telling a weird, weird, weird story the tale of the phantom cab and he gets they let him into the midnight society based on this super bizarre story and then he doesn't tell us another story for the entire first season so now finally after all that writer chloe brown has graced us with our second frank story and it is very much in the spirit of the tale of the phantom cab as we'll soon see yeah uh shall we dive into the events of this episode yeah let's jump right in the episode opens, like all episodes do, except for one, I guess, with the Midnight Society uh, gathering around the fire. We see sort of a first-person view of the camera moving into the Midnight Society, and Betty Ann and Gary are uh, already getting the fire going. Uh, we see Kiki and David barge into the, uh, the campfire area and demand that they get this story underway so that they can leave and go see a movie at the Midnight Madness. And they explain Midnight Madness is some sort of horror movie marathon taking place that night. And they have somehow gotten free tickets, and they are raring and anxious to go. Gorama, triple feature marathon. We got free passes. Cool. What's playing? Who cares? Let's go. Frank is not having it. He tells them that he would never go to anything like that because he doesn't like being stuck in a movie theater for several hours. Apparently, he only has the attention span for one movie, and after that, he goes insane. Frank warns them of the dangers of going to the movies, which of course dovetails nicely into his story, long-awaited it. The Tale of the Midnight Madness. Frank throws the, uh, the coffee creamer onto the fire, and the story begins. Do you know it's coffee creamer? You've been claiming that for two episodes now. Can you verify that? Yeah, yeah, I read that in trivia during our long hiatus between season one and season two. I did some research, so now I'm going to call it out as coffee creamer every time. Why did they use coffee creamer? Is it flammable? Yeah, I guess it, it combusts better than, like, you know, just throwing sand in the fire. Listeners at home, if you want to throw coffee creamer into an open flame and tell us about the results, we encourage you to do so, even if it means getting injured. We encourage you to throw just any sort of weird thing into a fire and see which one works best. Uh, and let us know the results. Maybe we'll put it on air. Uh, all right, so this is going to be... Make some animated GIFs. Just as a preface, this is going to be a callback-heavy episode. Yep. Just the way we like it. Uh, we open on a movie theater, uh, an old-timey 1930s-type theater, showing the first... And we get our first callback. It's showing a movie called The Bostics of Beacon Hill in the marquee. Is that actually a callback? I made a joke about this being a callback, 
because of the fact that there was a character in The Tale of the Twisted Claw that you love named Bostick. It's not a real name! Maybe you remember that in The Tale of the Twisted Claw, there was one character who was obsessed with another character named Bostick. Well, it's going to give me something I've wanted since I was a kid. Bostick! And uh, they ran a race against each other, and Bostick broke his leg when he uh, tripped over a dog. And Dykus thought this was hilarious. So when this scene opened on the tale, or when this scene opened on the Bostics of Beacon Hill, <laughs> the tale of the Bostics of Beacon Hill, <laughs> we had a pretty good laugh at the idea that uh, they were for some reason making a very very obscure reference to a character that was in a fraction of one episode. Look, th- but I also googled the Bostics of Beacon Hill and have no idea what else it could be. Look, I've only heard so. the name for the word Bostic once before and it was on this show so i have no reason not to believe this is a callback wasn't there also a character named bostic in that one episode of rugrats no that was bostwick with a w oh damn okay well i was close the episode where tommy gets briefly adopted by a pair of old rich ladies i'll drop that audio clip in here oh bostwick are you all right see how he found his way right to the judge's room obviously he was born to be a Obviously. Anyway, we open on a... Why does that happen? Hold on, pause. Why does... He's with his grandfather, and his grandfather loses him, and he gets adopted by two old ladies? What happens there? They adopt him, and they think... I I haven't seen the episode in 20 years, but I think that they find Tommy, and they take him home, thinking, oh, we'll just raise this child on a lark, and they think he's this... And they name him Bostick after, like, some old member of their family. Yeah, there's, like, a portrait... Their brother There's, like, a portrait on the wall of some, like old bald man uh and they claim he's the spitting <laughs> image of of old bostwick oh look at the little darling smile oh i believe he resembles our father the judge you're right sister why he's the perfect likeness as a bonus we will review that episode of are you afraid of or of, of rugrats sometime soon to our patreon only exclusive uh supporters as yeah as you all know what are we talking about? Anyway, so we we've, <laughs> we're five we've, minutes in. We've, we've literally only talked about the first frame of film in the actual tale. <laughs> uh, we open on an old movie theater showing an old movie. We cut to the inside and see that the movie is wrapping up, and there's only one person there watching it—a sad little old lady who applauds at the uh, at the screen. A sad little old lady, perhaps a reference to the old ladies. Who loved Bostwick? Goodbye, Lewis. Goodbye, Bostwick. Bostwick? Perhaps. We can only assume. This is... How deep does <laughs> this, this early 90s women. Nickelodeon rabbit hole go? All this nepotism. We quickly learn uh, that this old movie theater has fallen on hard times. And we meet our <clears throat> two young protagonists for this episode. A boy named Pete Matt and a girl named Katie Halloran who both work there sweeping the aisles and uh, selling tickets and working the concession stand. Two teenagers. And as far as we can tell, they are basically the only employees aside from the manager. And they both remark about how business is just dwindling and dwindling at this movie theater. Their manager complains that they're not making any money, and the uh, the three of them are all very concerned about the idea that the theater is, is going to be shut down sooner rather than later. Yeah, we meet their slimeball wise guy manager named Mr. Kristoff, who is this total, like, early 90s, like, New Yorker caricature. Like, hey, forget about it. This movie theater... Bada-bing. Tell that to the owners. They don't like losing money. Is everything busted around here? 
We're told that Pete is really passionate about this theater for some reason, despite the fact that it only shows movies from, like, the 1910s. Yeah, it only shows royalty-free black-and-white footage. He's very passionate about keeping this movie theater open. And when he learns that the theater is in danger of closing, he takes action, and we see him out on the streets uh, distributing flyers, posting flyers on walls to save the Rialto Theater, telling people to see a movie the old-fashioned way. What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this was in 1993, so the old-fashioned way was still the only way that people saw movies. Like, I don't think he was trying to convince people to quit their pirating ways. I mean, in... A hundred years of of filmmaking, we haven't really found a better way to watch a movie than going into a big dark room and sitting down. No, no, it's not like these people are watching them on their phones. We get a somewhat amusing moment. Apparently his efforts are not working because we see Pete and Katie behind the concession stand. The same old lady walks out, apparently their only customer for another week. She brings an empty bucket of popcorn to the stand, sets it on the desk, and they just dump out the contents on the floor and stick it back on the stack of other popcorn buckets. Not sanitary. Yeah, Katie had said she wanted to help save money at the theater, and so she's just started reusing this woman's popcorn buckets every week. They both have the most just sad and despondent faces. It's it's a very amusing little moment. The following day, or the following week, we see them coming into work, and they're both talking about how Pete doesn't want the theater to close, but what are they going to do? A shadowy figure approaches the door. Yeah, there's a lot of buildup as this shadow approaches them. Uh, They just sort of continue their conversation. The door is locked. Like, they lock the door from the inside because it's not time to open yet. Uh, But someone keeps banging on the door. Why don't you just... Uh, We're not open for an hour. And eventually, the lock opens by its own power. And the double doors are thrown open. And who do we see? We see none other than the mysterious and sometimes spectral... Vink's the name. Dr. Vink. Insert applause here. Finally, yes. at long last, Aaron Taker has returned to save us with his brilliant recurring character of Dr. Vink. His over-the-top performances. Who also has not been seen since episode number one. Frank only has one kind of story thus far, and it's a Dr. Vink story. Dr. Vink opens the door and introduces himself, just as he did in uh, The Tale of the Phantom Cab. Dr. Vink? Vink. And he is every bit the manic pixie dream man that he was when last we saw him, (laughs) because he strolls into this theater, and his eyes go wide. Perfect! Absolutely perfect! We're not open yet. That smell... It's wonderful. No modern theater has that smell. It's stale popcorn. He's talking about how much he loves the theater and how much how well it will do and how it's everything he's been looking for. And Katie calls him a nutbag. Guys, a nutbag. Another callback to uh, episode one. Yeah, he explains that he wants to use the theater. Uh, their manager, Mr. Kristoff, comes in and he says, what's going on here? And uh, he says, I am going to rent your theater, good sir. And then he looks at Katie and says, And I am not a nutbag. So he explains to them that in the olden days, he made movies, uh, which is a thing that we didn't know about him, because what did we think Dr. Vink did as a profession? Uh, mash silly putty between his hands in his uh, creepy crawler's laboratory in a cave in the woods. <laughs> yeah, last we heard, he was a scientist in a cave, in the woods, studying, researching animal brains. 
But apparently, he's dabbled in many different scientific and artistic pursuits. Because he goes on this long rant about how he remembers the golden days of cinema. Back when films tried to stir the imagination, not bludgeon it. The, the suggestion here is that Dr. Vink is so old that he was one of the sort of originators of classic film and that he has with him a container full of all of his old film reels and that he made some of the greatest movies of the early days of cinema. So he's like more than 100 years old used to make movies, and he wants to start showing them at this theater. Yeah, there's some nice blocking in this scene where he takes the stage and uh, looks down on the two kids and, and the manager and tells them he wants to show movies here. Uh, not for money. Out of his coat, he produces a canister with presumably a reel of film in it and says, if you show this film, people will come here. And as payment, uh, all I want is a place where I can show my other films on a week, like once a week. Yeah, on a night of their choosing. And Dr. Vink is just hamming it up here like no, no one else can. Show my film in your theater, and people will flock to see it. Your fortunes will turn, and you'll make far more than six bucks a night. He goes to shake the manager's hand, and uh, when they shake hands, his film canister accidentally falls over, and everyone bends down to grab it. When they look back up, Dr. Vink has vanished. The manager has reluctantly agreed to this deal, but he immediately dismisses it. He tells the kids, go put it up. He just tell he tells them to throw Dr. Vink's film away. Yeah, the second the doctor disappears, he's like, get that stuff out of here. And then we cut back to business as usual. We see Pete handing out flyers for the Rialto. We see Katie dumping out popcorn and saving the bucket, we see their manager uh, going over the books and taking shots from a flask in his office. I did not expect to see this. <laughs> I really enjoyed that moment. He has a very tall flask that he, he's going through the books, he looks at the numbers, sighs, and then takes a big swig from and it. And winces. <laughs> I guess, I guess that if, you, if you're not saying what's in the flask, it's totally okay to show a flask. What else do people put in a flask? I'm going to go on record saying this is probably the first and only depiction of, like, alcohol I've ever seen on Nickelodeon. Not true. Not true. Because I will point you to the tale of the nightly neighbors. What do they drink in that? The entire Midnight Society got wine drunk. Ah, uh, yes. How could I forget? <laughs> well, Are You Afraid of the Dark bends the rules once again here. We gotta ask someone about this stuff. We gotta find out what's up with all of the uh, alcohol in this series so far. Maybe we'll get to find out someday. Yeah. We see two things happen, par two events happen parallel to one another. The drunk, sad, wise guy boss summons in uh, Pete and Katie and tells them that in two weeks a theater's going to be sold. The theater's days are numbered, and they're like, oh no. Meanwhile, the old-timey cowboy movie that they're showing uh, catches fire in the projector and melts. For some reason, this was the first time that there were multiple people in the theater. There were maybe, what would you say, five or ten people watching the old cowboy movie? I was going to point this out, too. Yeah, there are at least, like, a dozen people in there watching this cowboy movie. People of a variety of ages. So apparently the theater isn't doing that poorly, at least not this week. But the, uh, Katie runs down after this movie melts in the projector and says, No, wait, don't leave. We're going to... We have a backup plan. We're going to show a classic silent film... And if you don't like it, you can get a full refund. So everyone shrugs, and they're like, yeah, okay, I'll watch, I'll watch this classic silent film, and I'll have watched half of this other movie, and maybe that'll be a good deal. So they all sit back down, and the kids start showing a, a recreation of the film Nosferatu, which we've referenced on here before, I guess, when we were talking about the tale of the nightly neighbors. Yes, 
they show Dr. Vink's film, which is Nosferatu, the Demon Vampire. And it's not the actual... This is, I think, needlessly confusing, because as most of us know, there's an actual film called Nosferatu from the silent movie era. One of the most famous movies ever. Uh, yeah. This is not that movie. Uh, it's made this is to a, look exactly like it. This is a very loose approximation of that movie. Uh, and it opens with just a flat shot of Nosferatu, the demon vampire, leering into the camera. And everyone in the theater suddenly changes their tune and they're like, oh, yeah, this might be something I'll sit through for an hour. The second they see a monster on the screen, they are hooked. So uh, everyone sits down and watches Nosferatu, and when the movie ends, they are all thanking Katie and Pete and talking about how great it was, and nobody asks for a refund, and the kids are super excited that this has worked out in their favor and that uh, everyone was happy. They've saved the day. We get our first commercial break, and back at the Midnight Society, uh, after the commercial, Frank continues his story. We get a little bit of exposition where he says that after the movie was a big hit, uh, the theater started doing its own Midnight Madness showing with, I guess, just this one horror movie every week. Uh, and it started making lots and lots of money. We also see a shot of the film canister that the film came in uh, opening up very slowly and an ominous red light glowing out of it. Yeah, there's a, a strange demonic light coming from within the film canister. Cut back to the story. And it's um, we see another thrilled audience watching the uh, Nosferatu movie. We see the end of the movie itself where Nosferatu kills uh, Harker, a man who's trying to drag his coffin into the light. Yeah, he kills uh, Nosferatu, grabs Harker and kills him. And uh, a full audience cheers like the entire theater is full of people who are watching this movie. The uh, as the people are filing out, Dr. Vink returns. I thought I'd stop by and see how things were progressing. He insists that they sh- that they uh, make good on their deal to him and that they show another one of his movies. But Kristoff uh, is hearing none of this. He refuses and says that he doesn't want to honor the deal at all. And Dr. Vink insists that there will be trouble. Yeah, he says something like, you'll see. This story is far, far from over. <laughs> In fact, it's only just beginning. <laughs> Cackles to himself as he runs out the door. Very, very funny, awkward moment. Like, he managed to disappear earlier, so to have him just dramatically wave his cape and wander off into the night like a crazy person, pretty strange. We get a strange scene here where uh, Pete is sitting in the movie theater by himself just letting the movie play out, trying to figure out... They say he's studying it to see what makes it so scary. And he's sitting in the theater, and he kind of starts drifting off to sleep. And what happens next is maybe one of the most frightening moments of the show that I can remember from childhood. Yep. Pete's watching Nosferatu, and uh, it's reached the end of the film. The vampire has just bit Harker on the neck and turns towards the camera and starts walking uh, towards it. And he steps through the screen into reality. In what was really kind of a well-done effect. Yeah, he's black and white, and as he fades through the screen, the color comes to his face, and he has, like, red eyes and pale skin and yellow teeth. And, like, watching him pull through the film in that way, it it looks like it was done in a really basic manner where they just filmed him walking forward in color, and then they dropped all of the color out of it, and then slowly started to add it back into his face as he moved forward to give the illusion that he was passing through sort of a depth. Really nice-looking effect for Are You Afraid of the Dark? It, It doesn't last long, though, because Pete wakes up, and there's nothing on the screen. He assumes that the entire thing was a dream, and he goes to Katie and laughs about it with her. Yeah, we see an awkward moment where Pete tries to 
to hit on uh, Katie. He tries asking her out, but just as he's about to make the move... They're about to smooch. There's a noise from upstairs. And they run up to their, their boss, Mr. Wise Guy, only to discover, oh shit, he's been bitten by a vampire. Yeah, he has two puncture marks on his neck, and he is down for the count. He appears to be dead. Did they, th- did they say he's dead here, do they? Because, I mean, he looks super dead. I don't think they say... I don't think they say it in as many words, but yes, he looks dead. So they try to call the police, but the phone line is is as dead as their boss or deader, and uh, they try to run out of the theater. There's sort of an ominous shadowy claw cast on the wall behind them, implying that the Nosferatu is coming. Nosferatu is loose in this theater, he's stalking them, they're running for their lives. Pete, for some reason, somehow knows what he has to do, uh, and tells Katie to go activate the, the projector. Uh, They both run from Nosferatu, they both are nearly caught and bitten, but finally she manages to turn the projector on, uh, and Pete, just as Nosferatu did earlier, walks between the barrier separating reality from film, and another really, really nice-looking effect. He steps into the black-and-white world of the movie. Yeah, they're being chased by Nosferatu and trying to get the film on, and the second they get it on, uh, the vampire was, uh, he was about to attack Katie, he sees that the film is running, he realizes what what Pete is going to do, and he the vampire abandons his attack on Katie and starts chasing after Pete. So now Pete is inside of the film, next to the dead body of Harker, and uh, he's going to try and defeat this vampire in the only way he knows how, I guess. Nosferatu very, very, very slowly starts chasing after Pete. He just sort of apparates into the movie after a certain point. He doesn't walk through the the movie screen like he did earlier. He just kind of pops into existence. Yep. And just as he's about to attack Pete, Pete throws open a curtain, letting sunlight into the room. I saw this film, and I know how it ends. And I'm doing it right. And Nosferatu melts into a pile of goo. But Pete steps out of the film, back into reality... And they start to celebrate. They've defeated Nosferatu. They've won. Hooray! Their jerk boss shows back up. Yeah. Wise guy boss comes back to life somehow, uh, nursing the puncture wounds on his neck. And it seems like everything's going to be okay. But Eli, everything's not going to be okay. Because sitting in the audience, laughing, is Dr. Vink. He's got his feet up on a chair, he's eating popcorn, he applauds their efforts, and says that they've done a good job defeating his monster, but but that it is not over. Because he has purchased the theater. He holds up the deed to the theater. And he says he's going to be showing his movies there for a long time, and he has films much scarier than Nosferatu, the demon vampire. And he the cackles to himself, camera zooms in, the end. Fade back to Frank looking super serious. Yeah, so the implication here, I guess, is that he has other movies with other monsters who are going to come to life and accost people? Yes. Yeah. Uh, everyone seems to eat this up, as they do. And and in another sort of are-you-afraid-of-the-dark moment, two characters who were really into something at the beginning of the episode decide they're not so into it anymore once they've heard a spooky story about it. You know, we saw this happen with the Pinball Wizard, where everyone was into video games until they heard a scary story about video games. At the end of this episode, uh, David and Kiki decide that they don't want to go to the the Midnight Madness, and maybe Frank was right about 
not not enjoying being stuck in theaters for long times with horror movies. This was all a ruse, though. Frank takes their tickets, reveals that he has never been scared of horror movies, and he and Gary decide to go to Midnight Madness themselves. Yep. Yeah, he's told a scary story in order to get two free tickets to the Midnight Madness. I don't know how he knew this would work. I don't know how he knew it would scare Kiki and David into giving him the tickets so that he and Gary could go, but good job, Frank. And then rock and awesome theme music. Rock and awesome theme song, yeah. <laughs> Alright, so what did you think of this have I mentioned? Have I mentioned how much I love the bass on the rock and awesome theme song? <laughs> I love the like funky slap bass that goes on during it. Who produced? Who made the theme song? We should find that out. Getting back on point, this episode had a lot of callbacks, as we said earlier. Uh, one we didn't mention at the very beginning, they referenced Frank's supposed fear of the dark. Yeah, I love that uh, they did that. Uh, yeah, from the first season. Yeah, so this was a really fun episode, and those callbacks were just a part of that. I thought having Doctor Vink back on the show was fun. Having the episode be about scary movies, I thought was fun. The the callbacks were all really great. Uh, there was a lot going on here, and I really liked it. Aaron Tager steals every scene that he is in. Like, he brings such an energy to the show whenever he's on screen. I don't think I appreciated it enough in The Tale of the Phantom Cab. But here, he's just, he is the soul of this episode. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until The Tale of Laughing in the Dark that I really started to enjoy his over-the-top performances. Um, I had really high expectations when I started watching The Tale of the Phantom Cab, and the story was just so odd in that one that I couldn't get into it as much. But once the tale of Laughing in the Dark happened, I was hooked, and I think he is largely to blame for that. He does such a great job uh, in that episode and here as well. Something else I alluded to earlier, uh, the monster in this episode is genuinely frightening, at least to a child. Uh, I mean, we've all seen the classic Nosferatu as depicted in black and white, but seeing him rendered in like full color in like the real world, I remember as a kid being very, very frightened by this. And, and he is an effective monster. And there's way yeah. more detail, too. He has long, veiny fingers, and he has veins running all over his bald cap. Uh, it's, it's a very scary version of the original Nosferatu. And you're absolutely right. It was very, very, very scary. The I guess there's only awesome one thing left so. to ask. Eli, you scared of this? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to give this one a yes. I... Don't remember ever watching this episode as a child, but that Nosferatu is scary. And the idea that a monster can come out of a movie screen, even if I wasn't scared of this Nosferatu, it painted a really clear picture of a monster coming out of a movie screen. And that means that as a kid, any monster could have come out of a movie screen. If I bought into this, I could have bought into any of it. That's pretty spooky to me. So, good job, Chloe and DJ McHale. I concur. I was also, I remember being very scared of this as a child. Nosferatu is one of maybe three or four monsters from the show that I can specifically remember terrifying me during the show's initial run. So I will say, yes, I'm scared of this. Yeah, also, I was scared of the actual Nosferatu as a kid. Whenever I would see images from that, that was more than I could handle. I think there was a scene in Muppet Babies where they, like, opened a closet and Nosferatu was standing on the inside, because that was sort of one of their tropes. Yes. And, uh, and I was like, man, what are you doing, Muppet Babies? Like, Show me the goofy 50s B-movie sci-fi monsters, but don't show me that thing. And I didn't know what it was at the time, but I recognized it, and I hated it. So just having an episode that makes a callback to that movie was pretty scary. Uh, I'll try to find the clip from Muppet Babies right now. Man, we referenced two other, car- two other non, 
uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark children's shows in this episode so far? It's time to start our Muppet Babies podcast. What would that one be called? <laughs> I was racking my brain trying to think of what we would name our Muppet Babies podcast. I'm going through the theme song in my head. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I would love that to be the, like, you do a, a sped up King of the Hill style cover of the Muppet Babies theme song. All right. All right, Patreon contributors, you have another thing to look forward to now. A single episode of our Muppet Babies podcast. <laughs> That'll be the stinger at the end. I'll make that song and, uh, <laughs> and put it at the end. <laughs> so next week we have episode three of season two, The Tale of Locker 22, which will be directed by newcomer David Winning and written by series favorite Chloe Brown uh, and... I have bad, bad news about this one, I have folks. bad news, yes. Uh, it is oh, a Kristen story. Give me more Franks. Why aren't there more Franks? Why aren't there more? When, I, I'm going to have to check and see when our next Frank story is, because it can't come soon enough. But yeah, next week, yet another Kristen story. We'll see if she can improve her track record. I'm looking. Frank only has one more episode this season. Well, at least he has two this season. That's twice as many as he got yeah. in season one. Oh my gosh. Frank's next episode. Oh, man. Folks, you are going to be really... Well, I don't know if you feel the way that we do, but I am really looking forward to the first episode written by Ron Oliver. You're going to have to wait a few weeks for that. That's that's going to be episode nine of season two. So we've, oh, man. We've got now I've got six, something new to look forward to. Six weeks to go. All right. But until then, we're going to try and... Uh, next week, we're going to try and get through a Kristen episode. Tune in with us. Who knows what will happen? Hmm. <laughs> all right so uh let's wrap this up you can follow us on social media we're on twitter at you scared of this and facebook.com slash you scared of this uh i'm still trying to get us on itunes so hopefully you'll be hearing about that soon <laughs> and uh frank has a story called the tale of the dangerous soup <laughs> what maybe the... there's a reason frank doesn't get a lot of stories what is this well if we'll find out that is season, season three. That's a season. Th- that's the season three finale. So, gotta have to wait a while on that one. Yeah, yeah. Man, one Frank story, one to two Frank stories per season is killing me. All right. Anyway, anyway. Facebook.com slash Facebook.com slash you scared of this. Twitter.com slash you scared of this. Uh, I say we go ahead and declare this episode of you scared of this closed. Sweet dreams, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.